You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hey friends, before the next episode, I wanted to share a bit more about my virtual recovery community called The Recovery Collective. For less than a cost of one therapy session per month, our members get access to workshops, group coaching with me, cook-alongs, yoga, recipes, meditations, and even a private Facebook community. It is seriously the most fun community in the eating disorder recovery world right now. If your eating disorder is making you feel isolated and alone, this place will lift your spirits and bring you the connection you're looking for. So I ask you to join all of us. Go to recoverycollective.mykajabi.com or you can check out the link in the show notes. I look forward to seeing you inside the collective and enjoy this next episode. Hi, everyone. I wanted to introduce today's guest. Her name is Anne Claire Yenjay Chalk. She is a certified eating disorder recovery coach through the Carolyn Costin Institute, like myself. She is a registered yoga teacher with Yoga Alliance. And more importantly to me, she is my co-coach within the Recovery Collective, and she is also our yoga teacher. And overall, we like to lovingly call her the RRC elf because she's always helping with so many behind the scenes things that we have going on. So without further ado, I wanted to introduce to you one of my recovery BFFs and work wife, Anne Claire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. Today's episode is so special to me because I have one of my recovery BFFs on the other side of this interview, and that is Anne Claire. Anne Claire, okay. You are really special to me. As you know, I express this all the time because Anne Claire showed up when I needed her the most. And we have been almost co-pilots in the recovery collective from day one. So anyway, welcome to the show, Anne Claire. How are you doing today? Um, Good. Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me, first of all, before I forget saying that. And oh my God, I thought for a second you were going to make me cry. Oh. <laughs> I was like, please don't go too deep too fast. Um, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And 
Let's get talking. (laughs) So we are so happy you're here. I never want to make you cry, but I have so many like wonderful emotions towards you and Claire that I will might get sappy on this call. I'm sure everyone. Why Why is it so special? Like, why is Anne Claire so special? And Claire, can you share a little bit about how we met or your perspective on how we met last year? Sure. Um, so basically, you were in my Instagram sphere already for a while, right? Um, I think I was following you for, I don't know, maybe half a year, a year already-ish. And probably not commenting much because I'm not a big commenter, but I would probably like stuff and interact here and there. And then I saw you posting about the Recovery Collective. Uh, so that must have been like January I guess, 2021, I thought, oh, wow, I love it. Like, this is such a great, great idea. I loved all the people you had lined up. Well, all of them. I I knew Mia as well. And I was like, wow, (laughs) (laughs) Um, that sounds like such a lovely idea. I want to, like, I want to be part of it if I can. I want to help out if I can. Um, Because obviously, like, it looked like everything was figured out, right? And I was like, well, maybe I can contribute somehow. And not long before I saw your post, I had gone to a free workshop online with a, like, a business coach sort of a person. And she had said, like, plant seeds, like, as much as you can, as many as you can, and as often as you can, because flowers grow and bloom at different times of the year. So if you're like going into a completely new direction, just plant seeds, right? And then you'll see sometimes things will catch and grow and sometimes nothing will come out of it, but try and start early. So I was like, okay, um, I'm seeing this. Obviously I was already in training, to become a um, certified coach. And I was like, all right, this is down the line, probably six months from now, but let's plant a seed and see what comes out of it. And basically you did not get creeped out by my message on Instagram (laughs) and agreed to talk to me. That was the beginning. Yes, I love that. That is, I love the analogy of planting seeds because that's exactly what you did. The opportunity opened up throughout that process. And Claire reached out to me. I did not know that she was a CCI coach. I did not know whether or not she was recovered or in recovery. I think I originally thought you would, were interested in a membership. I was not sure, but I had seen your name floating around on Instagram as someone who would like, like my stuff or comment. And so when you approached me, I was like, maybe, I guess I'll, I'll talk to her, but I have a huge team already. Like I probably don't need the support right now. And then we had some shift in responsibilities and we ended up having a yoga instructor space available pretty much like, was it a week after we initially spoke? Yeah, I think it must have been a week. (laughs) Like we spoke and I was like, oh, we have everything filled up, but I'll keep you in mind. Thank you so much. And then a week later, something opened and I invited you to be the yoga teacher. And since then, you've also stepped up to be the co-pilot with me in the Recovery Collective. She is always there on our calls and everyone inside the group 
knows you because you're always there. You're a, a constant and we, we love it so much. So anyway, I wanted to share that because I, I think it's beautiful. And I look back at a lot of the connections I made in lockdown and like the pandemic as really beautiful ones because they seem to, they're all international. They're all based online, but they're just still very deep, close relationships. And I've never met you in person. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like it's because because they were created in a weird time, like for everyone. Um, but all those connections had to be deep because you couldn't connect on really like just fluffy stuff. I mean, you could, but that would be like, I guess, a, a connection that can't quite last, you know, in time. Because if, if the connection's not deep, you don't really make the effort, right, to keep things going. So I feel like that's kind of why the few new connections I've made, like you said, in the last like year and a half ish have all been like pretty intense and deep and because they were aligned on values and vision for life and like big projects rather than, you know, let's go grab a coffee and then maybe not having the best time with someone, but just being like, oh, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So true. I think the circumstances were a little bit different. And then I hope everyone listening ended up connecting with people over the past year and a half as well, just because circumstances were so different from usual. But without blabbing on too long about how we met, let's get into the actual subject of today, which is the subject is uncertainty in recovery. It's moving through recovery and not quite knowing what your life is going to be like on the other end. And when Anne Claire and I decided on this topic, we found that it really relates to a lot of her story and also what she sees in her coaching practice. And I see this in my coaching practice as well. So Anne Claire, to kind of keep to introduce this concept, I'd be interested to hear how your recovery story started and how this showed up for you. Sure. Well, so to try to not make it too long, because as anyone who knows me will know, I can blab a lot. So when I really developed my eating disorder full blown, I was a young adult. So of course I had a history of dieting and being a massive people pleaser and of studying what I thought I was supposed to be studying and of choosing things for like big decisions, like life stuff, like direction based on what I thought were um, the expectations people had of me. So when I got sick, like when they, when I developed my full blown eating disorder, I had already lost kind of my sense of identity a little while back, right? Because I had already made so many choices and decisions when I was probably not completely in tune with myself. So when I approached recovery, if I have to be honest, like today, when I look at myself, I'm pretty sure I was just mostly really tired of being unwell. And I had some somehow a lot of hope that I would nearly call like radical hope because I didn't know what I had hope for, but I just knew there was something better that something was possible to, to do and that I was just really tired of not being well. But what that means is that when I was in the process of recovery, 
it really felt like losing a lot. Like, of course, we, it's not like we are our eating disorders. As we, you and I both know, we suffer from an eating disorder. We are not the eating disorder. But still, the eating disorder does influence our sense of self a lot because it, it, it like impacts how we deal with life things, how it impacts our relationships, it impacts our studies, our work, or whatever, wherever we're at in life, right? So not only does it feel like losing a bit of yourself, for me, it felt like not reconnecting to something else because I felt like I didn't have anything else to reconnect to. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't say like, oh, that's who I was before I got sick. And that th- those are the parts I really like. I was more like, okay, and now what? <laughs> so, <laughs> but then again, like it, no one asked me, like my therapist did not ask me at the time, like, what is your recovery vision or what are you recovering to or whatever. I, not, we didn't even talk about being recovered, to be honest. So I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's bad, no, <laughs> but that's I guess really good. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have like a specific, a specific direction other than what I was seeing online, which at the time wasn't much. It was um, Mia's videos and Katie Morton's videos. Those were, were the two, my two reference points, really. So there came a time in my recovery process where my therapist just said, listen, how about, because I guess she was tired of me saying, I don't know, to her asking me what I wanted to do or what I had planned to do. And I was probably just like, oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. (laughs) So (laughs) she was just like, well, how about you just choose something, decide something, like either something you used to do that you like to do or something new. But like there are many activities out there. You can even just type it in in Google, right? Search bar activities to do on the weekend, whatever. Something's going to come up. Just choose something, commit to it and then do it. So um, I tried a few things and one of those was yoga. So I restarted my yoga practice somewhere during recovery and that became, well, I didn't know it at the time, but that became really important for me and my recovery. I think that really is what boosted my recovery, like really cemented what I was actually learning or discovering about myself. And it really, yeah, it, it drove my healing process to, well, me ending up being recovered. And even when I was, I guess, like somewhere close to being recovered or whatever, I was like, well, how, what am I going to do with all this mental space that I have? Because obviously when you suffer from an eating disorder, there's so much time that you spend listening to your ED voice. Or when you start recovery, there's a lot of time you spend debating with it, negotiating with it, dialoguing with it. But there comes a time where it starts slowing down, right? Because you start knowing where it goes and you're like, no, that's BS. We've already talked about that. I I disagree with that. Go away. (laughs) And then I was left because I didn't have like a strong direction or vision of who I was going to become. I was kind of left a lot of time, a lot of mental space and no clue about what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And... I ended up (laughs) choosing to study yoga, which was kind of random in the sense that 
there was no reason I didn't want to be a teacher. I actually, so we, <laughs> that's funny. I found it back not so long ago. We had to apply for it because it was a 10 month program. You had to apply for it. And you had to answer a few questions about yourself. And one of the questions was, what do you want to do like after, like, how do you want to teach? How do you want to share your knowledge? And I literally wrote, I'm not sure yet, dot, 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 and left the entire space empty. <laughs> That is so unlike you, like the version of you I know today would have some sort of plan because you have a stronger sense of self right now. Yes, but now I'm like driven. I know where I'm going, you know, most of the time, Um, not all of the time, which I'm, I'm thankful for, actually, I'm glad. But yeah, so that's how I started like studying yoga to become a teacher, but not really to become a teacher, just to do something. And that turned out to be just the best choice because fast forward 10 months, I had to write a paper at the end of my training about some sort of topic that I was passionate about. And I chose asking the question, did my yoga practice help as I was recovering from my eating disorder? And I was, I was researching my paper. I stumbled across Carolyn Costin's book, that she edited with Joe Kelly, I think, um, called Yoga and Eating Disorders. And I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> I've heard that name already. I indeed had. I mean, Mia um, had already made a couple videos about Car- oh, mentioning Carolyn. And that really, really piqued my interest. Like I thought, oh, wow, that's, there's actually a field of people helping others heal, guiding them in many ways that I wanted my own practice of yoga and whatever teaching I would ever do with yoga or of yoga um, to be as in very much based on creating a a lot of awareness, being in tune with your body, function over form so not teaching alignment in yoga but teaching all of the other aspects of yoga all of the the philosophy all of the teachings that help you reconnect to your soul what I loved about it was that reconnection to my body and the fact that well in yogic philosophy everything is like part of one so if you act on your breath you're also acting on your mind and on your body if you act on your body it's a door to your mind to everything so all the layers I guess are connected and I loved it and I remember writing in my paper that it was really a question of reconnection of really re recreating a, a sense of trust of knowledge of yeah I don't know you get me Wow. So yes. So I want to jump in and ask you back to that uncertainty, that place where you literally had no idea who you were and you were recovering from your eating disorder. There was a ton of space there now because the eating disorder was diminishing, right? It was kind of leaving your life. Was it scary to go through that sense of loss, you know, feeling like, you're losing your identity and not sure where to take it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm human. I don't like uncertainty. I 
it does make me feel a bit anxious. I do like control <laughs> to a certain extent. You know, I'm an, a big planner. You know, I like things organized and structured. So yeah, it didn't feel great, but it's, I, I think I saw it more as, yes, it's creating a lot of uncertainty, but at the same time, it, that big space can also just be a big opportunity for, my, for me to decide who I want to be or who I want to reconnect to. And though, so I guess that's my, I had built enough trust in myself and that was not a lot, but enough to be like, okay, I can take a baby step and trusting that I will figure it out and that I can have the hope that this is an opportunity more than something to be scared of. Mm, and good. I guess that's really a different perspective, right? Yeah, I think it is. I think a lot of people see that blank space as a dark hole that they can get lost in and flail in. And like Millie said to our collective members this month, she said, you can think of your recovery as a big white canvas that you can paint on, you know, so that space doesn't have to be a big black hole. It can really be a canvas that you have the power to make beautiful. Exactly. Um, now maybe you start only with one pencil and one color, but that's enough and you can find more on the way. And that's where it's hard, right? Because, and that's maybe, I guess, the picture of me having not that much trust in myself or faith or whatever you want to call it, but I had enough, I guess I had like, you know, the one paintbrush and one color and I figured let's start with that. And then as I was painting, I've found an extra brush and more colors and then it turned out into well I'm not going to call it art my life is not art (laughs) right now it's more like a big scribble but it's a scribble I love you know (laughs) it's all fine (laughs) so this is what is jumping out at me right now you made this decision to dive into a yoga practice and become a teacher that was a 10 month program. That was not a baby step. That was a huge life change. Oh, yeah. But I mean, the baby steps were, I guess, when I was starting to try new things, right? Because at first I was so scared to even put myself out there. Like going back to a yoga studio to take a class was so scary. Like, what if people don't like me? What if I'm too awkward? What if no one gets me? Um, as you know, I have a very peculiar sense of humor. What if everyone thinks I'm really <laughs> odd not to say something else? Um, like, you know, those were the baby steps mm-hmm. that like, led me to making a decision to study yoga for 10 months, right? Of course, I didn't go from nothing to, to taking, making that decision. Okay. <laughs> I'm not that awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, like, that's a bold choice when you have a no, I, of, you know, I'm, I'm not that bold of a human. Okay, um, okay. Because <laughs> when you have a smaller sense of self or a lessened sense of self, that kind of decision would be difficult. What kind yeah. of informed your decision? Like, what part of you? There must have been, like, a part of your essence or core self that you were tapping into when you finally made that decision? Honestly, I think it was because it was the one place in my life where I felt 
like there were no expectations of who I was supposed to be, mm. right? And unlike many other trainings or like studies I was considering um, starting, there were, there were expectations, right? You're supposed to get to something and that diploma is supposed to turn into blah or it's supposed to complement my, it was maybe supposed to complement my, my job at the time or, you know, or maybe someone else would think it's a great idea. <laughs> and that's when I knew that was probably not the right idea. This wasn't a choice I was going to make for someone else. This was going to be a choice I was making for myself. Mm. And yoga was at the time the only place in my life where I felt like I could just be, right? Mm. There was no, you're supposed to be more. There's no, you're too much. There's no anything. There, there were no expectations from others or myself really and that's what's nice and I know it's funny that I wrote I don't know what to do with this training but I was being honest with myself and I think that actually made me that helped me make the choice to commit to the studies because I didn't have even myself towards myself expectations and that was very unlike me but that meant it was really coming from that place that was just, it feels right. And that's it. And if it doesn't lead to anything other than me spending 10 months studying something that seems to be really doing something that is healing me somehow, or at least making me feel more at peace, because I could feel that my mind was better when I was stepping off the mat after a practice, whether that was in a studio or on my own. So that's how kind of how I, I knew, like my, I guess my breathing was a little smoother and felt a bit easier. And that's it. Like there's no magical or grand explanation other than there was no reason that was quote unquote bad um, or disputable. Mm-hmm. And it was not linked to anyone's expectations. Mm-hmm. And that felt right. Yes, yes. I feel like there's so much recovery wisdom we can pull out from that experience alone, like checking in with yourself and recognizing this is the one place you feel at peace because you're not putting pressure on yourself to take it anywhere or to move it beyond what it is in that moment. You are doing it just for you. It made your breathing slow down. You felt more calm and those small things alone were enough for you to say, hey, maybe I'm onto something here. Maybe this is a door that could be the doorway to my authentic self and the self that I can connect to, you know, when I'm finally out of recovery and like throughout recovery. Exactly. And I have absolutely no clue. And so that's what sometimes Mm -hmm. I really hope to tell, like share with my clients is like, I figured it out way later. (laughs) (laughs) what I'm doing now which I love and I feel so blessed and lucky to be able to to try to do as my full-time job but I didn't figure that out when I was like starting recovery I had no clue where I was going I, I was probably just making space and feeling really weird about not doing you know things and not reaching for behaviors and trying to cope differently but not really quite knowing why I was doing it and and sometimes when we ask them what is your why what is your life what how do you picture your life after recovery 
I can see some people being like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and I always want to be like, no, that's all right. Like, you don't have to know now. You can figure it out as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I mean, granted, it's, let's do the work on values, right? What inspires you? What, what are your core values now? Or what do you hope them to be? What is it that you would like to do? What is it that you would dream to be able to do? And for now, that will be our vision. And then you will create and review and reassess and repaint over your vision if you want to. If you find an extra color and an extra paintbrush later as you go through recovery, go ahead, paint over you know the first few strokes. I'm not going to judge you. I did that plenty. And you know, let's have fun, right? let's not make that a reason for you to be stuck um, and to be like, well, maybe that's not for me. Maybe I should know what's coming after. If I don't know, then maybe I don't deserve recovery or, you know, judging yourself for not knowing, or, you know, that basically that's your eating disorder self, right? I mean, as, as soon as you start judging yourself, <laughs> you know, that's not coming from your soul self or healthy self or whatever you want to call it. That's how I see it now sometimes with clients and then it it tends to also come back later in recovery to be honest and the thing that I want everyone listening to just do is acknowledge where you are and be honest so if you have no clue where where you're going to be once you you know start letting go of your eating disorder that is completely okay And you have to be just like recovery in general, you have to be comfortable with being a little uncomfortable. You know, we have to sit in the discomfort of not really knowing our true self, but knowing that you are in the process of discovering that. And that it's okay. And right. And, and, and sometimes I guess it's hard because you see maybe on social media, maybe even in, in, in your coaches or therapists who have uh, lived experience, who knows, maybe you see strong-willed humans who are accomplishing certain things and you're like, wow, that's, that's what I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to have this in mind. I'm supposed to maybe have like some sort of plan. I was like, no, you don't need a plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was wondering actually, we were talking about managing the expectations of recovery. And like, there's also, so it's like, there's a lot of uncertainty about what you will become. And then once you start recovering, people are kind of slammed with these expectations of what recovery should be in. Tell me a little bit about how that showed up for you, if it did. And also how do you see that in your practice right now? Yeah, so personally, uh, I guess because I was never presented with the, there's a finish line, you know, do all the work and then you'll be recovered concept. I guess I just went into the recovery. Like I said, was just very tired of being sick. And well, if there's one thing that was always true about me is that when I put my mind up to something, I do do something and I make it happen. Thankfully, that served me well in recovery. But I didn't have a vision, right? I didn't know there was such a thing as being recovered. Um, No one told me, hey, you do the work and then hooray, (laughs) you're done. (laughs) And like I said, I didn't have many examples um, or people I was looking up to. 
uh, thankfully I did not have Instagram. Um, so that was not polluting my environment. Um, and I love Instagram, don't get me wrong, but I know it can be so much harder now that we're bombarded all the time with whether that's helpful or unhelpful images. Sometimes even helpful images can become unhelpful when they skew your expectations. So yeah, that's kind of my personal like side of things. Like, I guess, because I didn't have expectations, I didn't have to manage them, <laughs> but, but whether or not that was good, I don't know. Um, what I do know is that now when I work with clients, I will sometimes end up in a conversation where I hear like a bunch of conditions put suddenly on being recovered. And it's like, hold on a sec. <laughs> like, <laughs> who said that's being recovered? Like when we started working together, we referred to a definition and nowhere did it say you will never, ever, ever have another day where you feel sad, anxious, um, <laughs> bad about your body image. It doesn't, life doesn't become butterflies and roses and you're not a super, superhuman or yet, like, you know, you don't have a shield. You actually become more human through recovery. You feel more, you're more vu vulnerable, except you also have a bunch of coping uh, mechanisms and really healthy tools at your disposition to face life, but you're still human. <laughs> you're not, you're not suddenly some sort of like, I don't know, savant in life and every only good stuff is, uh, is going to happen to you forever. Mm. Um, unfortunately, life is still life. Humans are still humans and sometimes it's going to suck. <laughs> it's not because you did the recovery wrong. It's just that's life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes it's maybe influenced from social media or, and often I, that's what I see in my work is that when we start digging into why suddenly we have these conditions and these new, like this new definition of being recovered, usually it turns out to be the eating disorder self, just trying to sneak in that one last time, right? And to like derail that last push in recovery and to be like, you know, I've been trying to get back. I, I tried to sneak in through like the back door, the toilet window, the basement, and I can't. So now I'm going to slip through, I don't know, the mail and then start redefining what recovery is supposed to be. And I'm going to make it so hard that you're going to know you're always going to fail, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what it feels because it feels like suddenly it becomes just impossible. Well, of course it's impossible. You're like holding yourself to an absurd standard. And when we dig into it, it feels like, well, what's the part of you that's trying to like suddenly make that a condition? And it tends not to come from, you know, a healthy soul self, but maybe, maybe it's not, you know, an eating disorder self per se anymore, but it's, you know, a voice that's way too critical and needs to be redirected. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's so true. I think we glamorize recovery a little bit in, at least on the social media space. I know that there's this false message that recovery equals the the solution to all of your problems, it equals the perfect life. And so when you're approaching recovery, expecting the perfect life, that's I mean, not going to happen. That's not going to happen. 
Perfect life is what diet culture has been selling us forever, telling us, hey, you just need to be super skinny and then you'll be happy, successful, and then everything's going to be fine. We can't sell recovery the same way. <laughs> it's right. not true. Because when you were saying that, I was like, this sounds like, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's not like, I'm sorry, but life is life. And I, I just, you know, I, I just sometimes I need to have that discussion with people and be like, hey, let's let's do some expectation management here. Um, what what are these conditions? Why do we have this goal? Because this goal is not achievable and it's going to hurt your motivation down the line and it's going to not be helpful. And you're going to feel like you, you're just going to hit your head on the bar on the goal all the time. And at some point you're going to be like, well, you know what? F it. I'm done. <laughs> this is this is too hard. Like, I'm not going to get to that standard it, because it doesn't exist. <laughs> we're still humans at the end of the day, but we're just, you know, better equipped humans and a lot better equipped than many other people. Like, no, don't get me wrong. Recovery is freaking amazing. You get a bunch of amazing tools and you can see through a lot of BS around you. So, you know, you do get amazing skills <laughs> along the way. And I've learned so much that makes me better at certain situations in life that other people who haven't gone through recovery don't like know about or whatever. So, you know, I don't want people to understand this wrong. Like, obviously I'm all for recovery, but just, you know, <laughs> it's, we're still human. Yes. <laughs> I, much. I completely agree. And that is something you just always want to keep yourself in check with. Like there's going to be days where you feel really comfortable in your body when you're recovered. And then days where you're still having a bad body image day, it doesn't mean you're not recovered. I know we were discussing this in one of our workshops lately, like for instance, there are many people who think when they recover, they're going to reach body love. And we were saying how body love is really like the PhD level that you can reach and you loved even more was um, that we what I loved even more is that during that workshop we also agreed that we don't have to even have body love as an objective down the line yes. like and I I honestly don't because love sounds like attachment I don't want attachment I want connection to my body mm. not attachment to my body I want my body to get old because I hope not to die soon. <laughs> you know? And because I'll get old, just because of time and gravity, things are going to shift, which is great. It means I'm alive. I want to be connected to my body and I want to continue honoring it. I don't want love. I mean, I already have a love. I have a partner in life and that's enough work in terms of love. <laughs> I love him a lot, but yeah. you know, relationship. You can, you can be fully recovered and just be at a place of body neutrality or body acceptance. You don't have to have the high bar of reaching body love or body freedom, although that would be so wonderful. And a lot of us have made it there. But in reality, that's an example of an unrealistic expectation people have when they are recovering. And I'm just, I just want to be like, no, it's actually a lot easier. You can lower the bar and shoot for body neutrality and you can stay there the rest of your life. If that's what feels right for you. And it doesn't mean you're not recovered. You know, there's so many layers to recovery. It's more about 
the outcome of recovery is really being, having a sense of freedom around food, having a sense of acceptance with your body. And those are kind of the expectations and we don't want to make them any more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with that, this hour has really sped up uh, for me. It's so fun to chat with you. I want to ask you one more question, which is for people who are dealing with this sense of uncertainty and about to face the unknown with recovery, what advice do you have for people who are about to embark on that journey? Breathe, <laughs> pause. Well, I guess starting with that, because if you, you know, in, in yoga, we speak a lot of the monkey mind mm. and our, our eating disorder is like the monkey mind on crack. Um, <laughs> it's just even more jumpy. So if you can already just um, like slow that down, um, breathe, calm, pause, and then try as much as possible to do two things, I guess. One would be connecting to what you do know, and you do know things about yourself, whether it's what is already true or what you would love to be true. That um, There are things you know, and maybe you haven't listened to that part of you that knows for a long time, but it is there. And you might need to give it a little time to hear it a lot, but there's something. So you will find whether that's values or little dreams, and that can be a little, a simple thing, it can be a big thing. No one cares. It's all yours. So whatever it is, it's fine. Whatever you find is very valid and it's all that you need to, to take those first steps. And then as much as you can be okay with creating a lot of space and try to see it as an opportunity. I used to hate choices. <laughs> like, really not like being asked what do you want do you want this or this what do you feel like blah and I'll be like I don't know stop asking me choices are a good thing mm -hmm. creating space for choices is great it it is th those are all opportunities to reconnect to redefine and if I'm being completely honest now I I tend my own internal garden to make sure there is space. Or I guess I make sure that there's always a place on my Canva that is still white and empty because I don't want to be fully defined. And I, that's something I've learned through recovery, but I don't want to be stuck. I want to change. I want to evolve. I want to be inspired today, tomorrow, in a year's time. And so maybe trying to connect to that idea that not only are you creating yourself a lot of opportunities, like space for opportunities and choices, but that actually maybe that's something to cherish for the rest of your life, um, very long life, hopefully. So I don't know if that makes made sense. <laughs> that was all very beautiful wisdom, Anne-Claire. And I think it is important to recognize that we're all always a work in progress and that when you do connect to who you are, helpful reminders, don't become rigid with that. 
you know, we always want to be flexible with our self identity. And it's always changing. So I'm so glad you brought that up, because I think it's helpful for people to keep in mind as they're on this journey. So with that, I want to say thank you so much, Aunt Claire, for joining me today. I think this conversation is going to inspire many and also give many of the listeners a feeling of relief, knowing that just because they're a little confused right now doesn't mean they're on the wrong path. For those listening, how can they find you or work with you if they're interested? Um, Well, you can find me in the Recovery Collective. <laughs> um, uh, shameless plug, but it's, 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 it's our baby. And I love being the Recovery's Elf because that's also an important title in, in, my, in my life. I'm also on Instagram. Um, my handle is Path to Recovered. And that's also actually my website. So pathtorecovered.com. And that's that. But um, thank you so, so much for having me. And it was so lovely. I am surprised that I did not blab even more. And we <laughs> collected the discussions when it discussion when it was needed. <laughs> hey, it's it's all good. I think you brought so much amazing insight today. So it was a joy having you on the show. I hope you have an amazing afternoon. And I will see you very soon because we see each other all the time. So take care, Anne Claire. Thank you. Take care.